Hi, it's great to be with you today, and uh, here we are in week, uh, week number three of our four-part series called No, No Fear, and if you didn't know what the title was, I'm sorry, I made it look kind of goofy. It's supposed to be No, No Fear. Um, I played on the word, anyway, I won't go there. Um, here we are in week three in this series, and we've been talking about fear, we've been talking about those fears that sometimes can paralyze us, can put us in a straitjacket, can grab hold of our lives and make our world orbit around them, and we've been in looking at those fears, trying to ask ourselves a question, God, how do I need to respond to those fears? How do I get past those fears? Because those fears can be very real and profoundly powerful in our lives. And we've had a key verse that we've been looking at, and the verse goes like this, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, he delivered me from all my fears. You just sang about that, right? Can you read that off the screen with me together? You ready? I sought the Lord, and he answered me, he delivered me from all my fears. So this morning, what we're going to be talking about is my inadequacies, my inadequacies and God's power. My inadequacies and God's power. Those areas in my life where I don't feel adequate, strong enough, capable, able, but God is powerful enough to take me through them. Because some of us could have fears around that. You know, I'm just not making the grade. I'm not smart enough, fast enough, wise enough, quick enough, all those things. But God is. I remember when our firstborn was born. Um, it was December 24th, a couple of years ago. And uh, he, I can remember being in the hospital. My wife, Carol, had been in labor for like 20 hours. And I have to tell you, I was hurting. Okay, it was hard on me. And then he was born. And I remember being there and holding this little wee guy in my hands and taking pictures and just being enthralled. Like it was incredible, right? And I went back to our little one-bedroom apartment on the top of a house. And I sat there by myself on December 24th. And suddenly it hit me. I'm a dad, and I haven't never taken any classes on this. There's no super dad pill I can take. I can't spin back the hands of time and, and learn how to do this. All of a sudden, I have this incredible, incredible responsibility. God has gifted us with this, with this little boy. Can I do it? Can I be the kind of dad that I want to be? I felt in many, many ways inadequate. You ever been there? You ever been there? You know, I drive onto Grace's parking lot during the week, and come into the building, and I'm here, you know, again, on Sundays a little bit earlier than you, and I look at all of you, and I walk through the building and see all of the, the kids and all the activities that's going on, and I have to tell you that I feel inadequate. I feel, sometimes if you really knew me, I think some of you would run out of the room like your hair was on fire, okay? Because you're going, that guy doing that job in this place? Like, really? How did they get him? What's all this about? Because I got to tell you, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree, it takes me a long time sometimes to make decisions. I'm very slow that way. You may not know this yet, but Saturday nights, I do not sleep very well. Okay, that's just who I am. been doing it. I, keep, I, I lay there at night and go, God, please let me fall asleep, you know? But the sermon is going over and over in my brain. And yeah, and I feel so inadequate here, right? In my particular role. You ever feel inadequate? Like you can't pull it off? Maybe in your role as a parent, your role as a spouse, maybe in your role as a friend. Maybe you're feeling like, I just don't know that I can cut it. I look around the world and I see all these people, they seem to be better than me, smarter than me, more successful than me. I don't know that I can pull it off. Or maybe you're thinking even about your relationship with God. And you're saying, am I really good enough? Does God really, is he happy with me? Is he satisfied with me? What do I need to do? How can I serve him better? And all those kinds of things can happen in our lives. I think that many, many of us feel inadequate in our lives. And what we really need is God's power. We really need to tap into God's power to understand his power and make his power ours. Now, 
If you've picked up anything in this series, you realize that even though I'm talking or looking at fear, we're really looking at God. If you pick that up, it's not really so much about me as it's about He, and we want to learn how to embrace and understand Him, bring Him to bear in our lives. There is a word, it's a big $10 theological word, it's the word omnipotence. Omnipotence. Can you say that with me, please? Omnipotence. Omnipotence means all-powerful, right? And when we think about God, I want to say a couple of things that I think are important to understand. When you understand the God's power, you have to understand that God's power is without two things. God's omnipotent power is without two things. First of all, it's without limits. God's power is without limit. He can do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. That's the kind of power that he has. There are no limits to his power. Now, it can't be a self-contradictory thing. You know, some people say, well, can God make a square circle? Well, that's self-contradictory. That doesn't make sense. Can God make a rock too big for him to lift? Like, again, self-contradictory. But anything that he, he wants to do, he just does it. Without limit, he's able to do that. It isn't like God gets tired, you know, when it talks about him resting on the seventh day in the creative account, creation account. It doesn't mean that God was tired. It just means he stood back and went, man, I did a pretty good job, you know? That's kind of cool. He sort of admires his work. He doesn't grow, what does the scripture say? He doesn't grow tired or weary. God's power is without limit. Secondly, God's power is without cost. It doesn't cost God anything. It's not like he goes down a couple of notches of energy after he creates everything. No, it doesn't happen that way. There's no loss of his power. It doesn't cost God anything to do what he does. And this is over and over again, you find the Bible illustrates this power of God. And it does it in a really unique way. And I'd like it if you've got a Bible or if you've got a digital device to go to Psalm 33. We're going to hang around in Psalm 33 for a little bit. And one of the cool things is if, you, if you're a person who likes to highlight or circle, I'm going to show you some words in here that you might want to highlight or circle in your device or on your phone or in your Bibles. So in Psalm 33, what you've got is a passage of Scripture in which the psalmist is describing the omnipotence of God without cost, without limit, power. Now, here's what often happens in Scripture. You're going to see this in a few places. When they decide to talk about God's power, they will describe how he exerts his power in the simplest kind of way that you can imagine. In fact, they kind of, it kind of picks on this idea that God doesn't need to exert himself very much. And so what they'll talk about is that God merely speaks. Over and over again, they'll say, you want to know how powerful God is? He just speaks and things happen. That's like the least amount of energy you could exert, right? Make this, become that, do this. This is what God does. So when you get to Psalm 33, look at verses 6 and 9 and watch how this happens in this passage. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Boy, that doesn't sound like God exerted a lot of energy, does it? I mean, he just simply speaks, and all of this creation comes into place. It's incredible. Well, well let's talk about what God did when he spoke. Let's think about this power. And the first thing I want to do is look through a telescope. Let's look through a telescope. And in looking through a telescope, let's think about the galaxies that are part of the universe that God has made. Galaxies are collections of planets and suns or stars and moons and asteroids and everything else. They in a group, in a grouping. We live in the Milky Way galaxy, right? 
And so in that galaxy, guess what? There are over, there are, and by the way, there are billions of galaxies in the universe, okay? Ours isn't like the only one, like there's billions of them. In fact, you could name a galaxy after everybody in this room and everybody who is alive on planet Earth, they could get their own galaxy. Would that be kind of cool? The Mark Brown Galaxy, okay? The John Galaxy, the Bill Galaxy. We could do that whole kind of thing, right? We'd have all, everybody could have a galaxy. We'd still run out of names because that's how many there are. It's cra crazy good. We live in the Milky Way galaxy, as I said, where there's over 100 billion stars or suns in the Milky Way galaxy. One guy said, if you could start counting the suns or the stars in the Milky Way galaxy at 250 a minute, which is pretty fast counting, it would take you over 1,000 years to count them all. That's how many there are. If you took our sun, just to think, think about this, and I don't know how, how, if you can see this or not, that big yellow ball is the sun. That arrow is planet Earth relative to the size of our sun, okay? You getting an idea how big it is right now? Now, listen to this. This is a bit... This is a bit crazy. You could put 1,300,000 planet Earths inside our sun. That's how big it is. There are some suns that you can put 500 million of our suns inside of them. So does that give you an idea about how vast and big and amazing it is? Our universe is absolutely amazing. Think about the speed of light. Light travels at 186,000 miles a second or 300,000 kilometers in a second. If you think about one second, think about how fast it's going, you could go back and forth across Canada 62 times in a second. You wouldn't see much, and turning around at each coast is really a toughie. But that's what would happen to you in a second. That's how fast you would go. To go from the Earth to the moon, traveling at 300,000 kilometers per second will take you a second and a half. 1.5 seconds to travel from here to the moon. To travel to our sun, okay, will take you eight minutes at 300,000 kilometers a second. If we wanted to go to the nearest, next nearest sun, from our sun to the next nearest sun, traveling at 300,000 kilometers a second, okay, it's going to take you four and a half years if you wanted to go to the edge of the Milky Way galaxy, I don't know how you define the edge, but if you go to the edge traveling at 300,000 kilometers a second, it will take you 10,000 years, okay? That's how long it will take you. If you get to the edge of our Milky Way galaxy, a spiral galaxy, and you want to go to the next nearest spiral galaxy, which is Andromeda, traveling at 300,000 kilometers a second, it will take you 2,500,000 years. Light years to get there. A light year is, this, I didn't say this earlier, the light year is the speed that light travels in a year. That's how long it will take you. Crazy big, right? I know some of you are saying, Ken, Star Trek has warp speed. You can do it faster than that. Okay, well, hang on. Okay, I understand that. God spoke this all into existence. That's how powerful he is. Let's look in a microscope for a minute, Okay. If you take a microscope and look into it, you look and see, for example, we look at our cells. Now, these are red blood cells, but there are other, lots of other cells in our bodies. And they, they say that human beings, when they're infants and grow up, they contain anywhere from 50 trillion to 100 trillion cells in our bodies, okay? Cells are that microscopic, fundamental unit of all living things. And when you look at the cell, 
you realize that each cell has the basic requirements for it to sustain itself. Each cell, except our red blood cells, for example, have the activity of a city. There's production and consumption and electrical charges and waste disposal and everything else happening inside those cells. And the nucleus of the cell, which is kind of like a control center, we have chromosomes that are in the, in the nucleus of the cell. And the chromosomes are, um, are just, a, a, most humans have 46, okay? 23 from our mother, 23 from our father. And a chromosome is an organized structure of DNA and protein all curled up inside the nucleus of the cell. They define who we are physically, our susceptibility to diseases, and so on and so forth. There's crazy, amazing information inside of them. Uh, one suggestion is that inside each of those chromosomes, there are enough information for 4,000 average-sized books. That's how much information is inside a chromosome inside your body. If you took the chromosomes inside your body and stretched them all out, one man said, I don't know how he figured this out, he said if you could stretch them, they're all coiled, if you unstretch them and link them all together, you could reach from here to the moon, or excuse me, from here to the sun, and back again 70 times. Crazy, eh? If you took the DNA out of every person who's alive today or has ever been alive, took that DNA, one of those chromosomes, stuck it inside of a thimble, it wouldn't even fill the thimble. That's how small it is, and that's how incredible it is, and our God created it all. God is an incredible creator. Are you aware of his power to create? His power to create. You know, the older that I get, the more amazed I am. I don't know why, whether I'm slowing down a little bit more and looking at God's creation, but the more amazed I am at his creation. Are you like that too? I stop every once in a while, watch the Canada Greece fly south, Thank God they're going, but I'm stunned at the amazing way that they do that. You know what I'm saying? They're all lined up, and there they go. Woo, bye. Don't come back. That's, it's just crazy good. Carol hates flies. I don't know what it is about flies, their little buzzing sound, the germs that they carry, the fact that they bug you all the time, but she delights in killing flies. So fly swatters are all over our house, right? And every once in a while, there's a swoosh and a smack and a a shout of joy, she's killed another fly. She actually trained our dog to help her find flies so that she could kill them. That's how much she gets into it. And every once in a while, I'll say to her, Carol, do you understand how amazing that little critter is? They got a tiny little fly brain and those compound fly eyes. They got six legs and two wings. They can fly around. They can do amazing things. Just think about how God created them. And she smacks another one and looks at me like I'm insane, you know, and on she goes. God's an amazing creator, isn't he? When you think about his power, you have to think about his power to create because that's clearly one of the things. But it isn't just his power to create that makes God or tells us how powerful God is. It's his power to control. And if you go to Psalm 33 again, let's look at verses 10 and 11. Watch what the psalmist says here about God. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. That's interesting, isn't it? He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm, how long? Forever. His plans are firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. So God is not just a God who's powerful as we see it in Psalm 33 in terms of his ability to create, but he's powerful in his ability to control as well. Some people think that God started everything off and then it got just, you know, just kind of let it go and it got out of control and he doesn't have any handle on things. And sometimes when we look at the world, we might be reflecting that way as well. When I was 17, I had my, saved up and got my very first car. 
It was a piece of junk. It was a 1964 Valiant. Little push buttons for drive. Any of you remember those cars? Anyway, weird, weird cars. And uh, we lived in our house on, next to a highway just outside of Brantford. And our house was right next to the highway. And sometimes I would park my car, because we just had a little narrow driveway, on the road in front of our house. The car would be pointing towards the highway. Well, in the wintertime, this car was terrible. I don't know whether we had a, a little gully there, a little kind of low spot, and the water, I, water would freeze. And I'd get into my car to go somewhere, and it wouldn't move. It just The tires would just keep spinning. I'd hit drive, I'd hit reverse, I'd hit drive, I'd hit reverse. It would just sit there spinning. So I had this idea one day, I know what I'll do. I'll put it in drive, let the wheels spin, I'll get out of the car, and I'll rock it. I'll put one hand on the steering wheel, one hand on the door, and I'll rock that baby back and forth. I bet you I can get it going, and then I can just hop in the car, right? That's going to be a cool thing to do, just because there's cars zipping by at 80 kilometers an hour, not a big deal. And so I started rocking the car one day, and I remember I got it going. And then I discovered how hard it is to get into a moving car. Have you ever tried to do that? It's really hard. I'm hopping along on one foot, one hand on the steering wheel, one on the door frame. I did get into it. That's why I'm still here today. But it was, it was crazy, right? At that moment, I realized how foolish I was and how things got out of control. And some people look at the world and they think that God is like that, that he started things off. Things were going pretty well, but people messed it up and off they've gone and God doesn't know what to do. He's trying to hop along with the universe and grab a hold of the steering wheel and make everything work well. And I want to tell you that's not true at all. Because the God who's powerful enough to create is powerful enough to control And what's interesting is that when you look in Scripture and you look at some of the Bible writers, one of the things that I find fascinating about them is their, and one of the things I love about them is their honesty. Do you find you you love that? They don't like what God does sometimes. They don't like how God lets things go. They wish God would act. They're complaining to him. They're saying to God, why did you let this happen? And I line up with those guys. I'm going, yeah, you tell them, David. Go on, tell them again. Because I feel the same way, don't you? But then you know what happens very fascinatingly? When you open up Scripture again, you'll find that same author will declare how God is in control, how that he's realizing he needs to put his faith in God in the middle of the disappointments, in the middle of the frustration, that God is still the God who's absolutely in control. I don't know if you've ever taken a watch, an old watch, maybe it was your grandfather's watch or your dad's watch, and when they weren't looking, you opened up the back of it. You know, one of those old watches that well, like this one, that kind of, that little hand start moving back and forth. And you flipped it over and you looked at it and you saw springs and wheels and things going in one direction and things going in another direction. You thought, that's crazy, that's chaotic, that's out of control. Then you flipped it over and realized, nope, everything is on time. That's how our God is. He is a God who is large and in charge. He created everything He controls everything. That's what he's like. And everything is going to work out for his glory. And one day we're going to look back and see how God used stuff that we wouldn't choose and he wouldn't choose, but he allowed it to happen for his glory and our good. In the book of Job, in chapter 26, the author to the book of Job, who some believe was Moses, interestingly enough, writes about this same idea of God's control. And I want you to notice what he says here in, verse 20, in chapter 26 and verse 14. Watch this. He talks about God's creation, and then the author writes these. And these, his creation, are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Again, that idea that God 
speaks and things come into existence. It's that God's power is like this. And he says, you look at all of creation, it's like God whispered it into existence. Imagine his power if he shouts. Imagine his power if the thunder comes from him. This is the kind of God that we have. This is the kind of God that we worshiped this morning. He's an amazing, amazing God. Amazing God. And the cool thing is that this powerful God, this God who is so large and in charge that he creates and he controls, he does all of those things with simply speaking, is a God who wants to come into our lives and work in our lives. That same powerful God. So when I feel inadequate, when I feel like I can't measure up, I need to remember to not so much look in the mirror as to look up at the God who is big and almighty and all-powerful. God longs to work in us and through us in spite of our quirky disappointments and those hang-ups that we have and those doubts that we have about our ability to be used by him. Because God uses inept, broken people all the time. If you look into the scripture, it's interesting to watch the characters that we see and would call our heroes, right? And it isn't, it isn't long before you pull back the curtain and you realize who the person who's really standing there is a really a lot like us. They're not really all that different, are they? I, I like the story of Moses when God comes to visit him at the burning bush, right? God says, Moses, I want you to do this. And Moses goes, I stutter, I can't do it. You know, and finally, after some dialogue, God says, so I want you to do this thing. He goes, here am I, God, send Aaron, okay? Like, just do something else. Like, I don't think I'm adequate for this. I love the genealogy, I mean, genealogies. Who loves genealogies? I love the genealogy in Matthew's gospel at the very beginning. It's a little strange genealogy. Do you know that? It's strange for a lot of reasons. One of them is because it has women in it, which you would not normally do. And the women that are in the genealogy, there are five of them, they're an interesting group of women. One of them is Rahab, who's an ancestor of Jesus, who's a prostitute in Jericho. Whoa, God, how are you going to use her? Well, let me show you, okay? Another one's Ruth, who's not a Jew. She's a Moabite from a culture that their worship was so bad, what they did in worship, vile and awful. She's a relative of Jesus through Mary. I mean, I mean, you start to look, and then there's Mary, who's a little teenage girl. We all, you know, she wears halos as soon as she's born, right? No, she wasn't. She's a typical person, right? And God used her in incredible ways. You got Bathsheba. Whoa, that's in Jesus' genealogy? Yeah, Bathsheba of all people. I mean, you start looking at the names of the women, and you look at other characters, not just the women. I'm just picking on women today, celebrating the fact that they're in the genealogy, okay? I want to get on your good side. So that's what's happening here, right? And it's just incredible. And God takes those people, and he uses them. I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at David's life. I look at this crazy, amazing, great guy. And then I look at what he does, and I go, God, how can you use that guy? How can you use him? And yet all of us still fall short, don't we? All of us fail to be what we need to be. And God wants to use us. We need to stop sometimes that I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not mature enough, and we need to just trust God to be more powerful in our lives than oftentimes we would give him the right to do. Don't ever let your inadequacies stop you from offering yourself to God in service. To do that is to say more about what you think about God than it is to say what you think about yourself. Did you hear what I was saying there? That sometimes when we stop, when we fall short, when we fail to step up, it's because we don't believe God is good enough to help us. And we tend to have our eyes on ourselves and not realize that's what we're doing. 
Again, if you've got a Bible with you or a device, I'd love you to turn to the book of Ephesians, and I want to look at chapter 3 with you and talk about what's going on here. Paul is praying for the Ephesian believers, and he's praying to the God who he knows is large and in charge, who's in control, who's the great creator. And so he prays for Christians, for you and for me, to tap into this power and understand exactly what it is that God wants to do with his power in our lives. So this is the prayer that Paul has. And you'll notice what he says right away here. We read this. For this reason, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with, what's the word? Oh, I could hardly hear you guys. You ready? What's, the word is What? Power. I will strengthen you with, with power. Oh, God wants to put power in my life? Yeah, he does. Look at this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your, what? In your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. God, what are you up to now? What is all your power focused on right now? My power is focused on the Spirit of God inside of you to make you strong on the inside, to make you more and more like Jesus. You mean the one who created everything with just his words, the one who's in control of everything? Yeah, he wants to move inside your heart, in my heart, to make me like Jesus on the inside. That's what he's up to right now. That's pretty crazy good, isn't it? When you think of your inadequacies, what do you think of? Do you think of things like, well... I wish I you know, had a greater IQ, or I wish I was taller, my body image, my strength, my social status, my job, my money, all those things. I wish that's what God would change. And I'm not saying God won't change that, but I want to tell you that's not the top of his list. The top of his list is to change us on the inside. The top of his list is to make us like Jesus on the inside. He wants us to love when it's super hard to love. He wants us to be patient when we're ready to load our emotional gun because of what someone has done to us. He wants us to have faith in him when it looks like the world is crumbling all around us. What is God trying to do? He's trying to pour his power into our lives so that we can become more and more like Jesus. Look how he drives this home a little bit further. He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, that you may have power. Why? together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp, to get a handle on how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I want you to get a handle on his love. And then he says this, watch this. And to know this love, what does that mean? To experience this love inside of you that surpasses knowledge. You can't explain it. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow, what a prayer he's praying. I want this omnipotent God to pour himself into your life, Paul is saying, by his spirit to make you like Jesus so you think like Jesus and feel like Jesus and love like Jesus and trust like Jesus. Isn't that what we really need the most of? It doesn't matter about those things outside if that's true of us. Wasn't Jesus the most amazing human being that ever walked on the planet? Isn't he really Superman, ultimately? And isn't it true that that's what we want to be? So that no matter what the struggle would be, we can trust in our God. Watch, he writes this, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his, what's the word? Good job. Power that is at work in us. Do you realize, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, right now God's working in you with his power to make you like Jesus. To him, 
to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What if we could slow down right now and realize that what God is trying to do is put his power inside of us. And as we might struggle with our own inadequacies and wonder if we're ever going to please God, what he's doing is saying, I'm going to help you get there. I want to help you get there. Will you let me do that? Will you allow me to work inside your life? I've given you some tools to help you get there. I've given you my book. Will you read it? I've given you my spirit. He wants to move in you. I've given you brothers and sisters in Jesus. They want to come along and pray for you and encourage you and help you to become everything that you can be like him. And I think for many of you that I've met over the last number of weeks, I see Jesus in a lot of, in many, all, I haven't seen anybody that hasn't got him, okay, but I see, just, just so you know, there's no bulletin board in my office, I'm throwing star, okay, that one, we got to work on that one, not yet, I'll get there, okay, but Jesus is, do you see Jesus in the side of each, of each person that's maybe around the room, somebody that you know really well? And sometimes you're going, man, I wish I was kind of a little stronger in my patient area like that person is. God's power has helped them to get there, and his power can help me to get there. And I wish I loved like that person. Man, I wish I loved like that person. And God's power has helped them to become like that, to love in a way that's crazy, crazy love that Christians have, right? I want God to do that in my life. Do you believe he wants to? Do you believe that God can do that in your life? God's work, God's power can best work through us when his power has first worked in us. Do you remember when you put your faith in Jesus as your sin forgiver and life leader? Do you remember when you did that? Here's what you believed at that point. You believed you were inadequate. You believed that you couldn't pull it off. You believed that you were broken. You believed that you were a sinner. You believed that you were far from God. And you realized there was absolutely nothing you could do. Climb up a bunch of steps on your knees, give a whole bunch of money away, nothing you could do that will enable you, that would enable you to get right with God. You knew you were inadequate and you took your inadequacies and you gave them to God and you said, I'm going to believe in Jesus. And he said, man, glad you did that. Now I'm going to make you my child. And he, his spirit came into you, and you became a child of God. Crazy wonderful, isn't it? Sometimes what happens to us Christians, I don't get this, and I'm just as guilty. To get over the line of faith, to put our faith and trust in Jesus, we realize we can't pull it off on ourselves. And then we get together as Christians after we've stepped over the line of faith, you know, done what we need to do, and we pretend like we got it all together. I don't know what happened. Like, really? Okay, where did that come from? Instead, we need to realize we're all a bunch of broken vessels. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians? He says, I'm a cracked pot, okay? That's basically what he says. I'm a cracked pot. And we read a couple of weeks ago about how desperate he was and how he felt that his life was in trouble. He's like us. But what does he turn to? What does he believe in? What does he trust in? He trusts to God. God who's going to work in him and then will be able to work through him. And some of you may be a little shy at stepping up to the plate, maybe serving in a way around here at Grace or in another context because you're feeling, I'm just inadequate. And maybe it's not the right spot for you, but what if, what if you stepped up and said, God, I believe your power is greater than my inadequacies, and I'm going to trust you in that. For some of us, maybe in this room, it might be vocational ministry. Maybe God's calling you to the mission field. Maybe God's calling you to, oh man, of all things, become a pastor or serve in some way in a full-time vocational role. And you've been thinking, I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not strong enough. Yeah, you're saying too much about, you're saying that about a God who's powerful enough to do that in our lives. And we need to trust in him, right? Feeling inadequate? Good. 
Feeling God's all-powerful? Better, okay? And for you, no matter what the struggle may be, I want you to know that God is working in our hearts right now, in our lives, to make us more and more like Jesus. And one of the things that I think we need to do is pay attention to how he does that and why he, what he's doing in my life to enable me to become more and more like him. Sometimes he uses difficulties. Sometimes he uses worship. Sometimes he uses teaching. Sometimes he uses friend. He does all those things to make us more and more like Jesus. And if you feel inadequate, you're in a good spot. But you've got a God who's bigger and better than all of that. And he wants to transform you and transform me into becoming more and more and more like our amazing Savior, Jesus. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time today as we've looked at your power, your incredible, amazing power. What an awesome God you are. Thank you for sending Jesus, who showed us what it's like when your power pours through a human being who also was God, but how he lived is how we want to live, and that love is the kind of love we want. His patience, his gentleness, his generosity, his faith, make that ours as well. And if we're feeling less than what we need or want to be, Lord, may we remember that's not a bad spot to be as long as we will grab hold of the truth that you are the God who's the creator, the one who's in control, and the one who wants to take that power and make us more like your son, Jesus. Do that in our lives. We open our arms, hands to you, inviting you to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.